I'm Lloyd Freeman, and this is Dimensions of Diversity. If you have kids, uh, like I do, you want them to grow up to be model citizens. You want them to be respectful. You want them to be compassionate, to be understanding, to have a greater sense of the other people that they are going to share this earth with. But you're a working parent, and you have to find the time to be able to impart that knowledge and that wisdom upon your children. And how do you do that? And what resources are out there? Today, I'm going to talk about all of this with Dr. Bobby Wegner. And Dr. Wegner is a clinical psychologist, a lecturer at Harvard, an author, international speaker, board member, advisor, and founder CEO of Groups. Bobby, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lloyd. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I, I am so excited to talk about this topic because, uh, again, you know, from my intro, there are so many wishes and hopes that we have for our kids. But again, we only have so many hours in a day uh, and we have to try to find out how we can do that and how we can, you know, also have practice some self-care in that, right? And so I really just want to kind of start from the beginning. And I mentioned a lot of different hats that you wear. Can you kind of break that down for me? Who are you and what do you do? Sure, great. Well, first and foremost, I'm a clinical psychologist. So I've been in my own private practice and consultancy for about 13 years, really helping people build strong relationships in different parts of their life. Um, I'm a health psychologist by training and kind of helping people have strong relationships in their private and personal, um, in their personal and their organizational lives is, is super important. I ended up teaching at Harvard in the School of Education. So um, held leading a class called group counseling and cross-cultural counseling, and then getting more kind of called into business and organizations about, you know, five to seven years ago and helping teams really function and feel their best together. Based on this need I saw there, we ended up building a company called Groups where we help, uh, we bring organizational psychologists to the office on an ongoing basis to help teams really have good conversations and build strong working relationships. So where I spend my time now is really pretty much leading groups and teaching at Harvard. I teach in the organizational psychology program there now, which is if anyone's watched Billions or knows Wendy Rhodes, oh yeah, that's like what I teach, and that's what we're scaling with groups. And then also, because uh, I know it's relevant to our conversation, I wrote a book called Raising Feminist Boys, which is really how do you um, raise boys to kind of build empathy, have self-awareness, and build good working relationships with the people around them? Oh, we are totally going to get into that because I've got a four-year-old boy uh, in my home and I need all the help that I can possibly get. So <laughs> we've got to get into that. I mean, I'm but, with you. I have a 14 and 12 year old. I wrote a book and I still am like, someone tell me how to do this. Oh my goodness. So. that That's not inspiring much optimism <laughs> for me. <laughs> Sure. So, so let me ask this because that's such a, um, a a wonderful you know area of focus. Um, but but I would say pretty nuanced. I don't know of anyone who I've ever met who kind of raises their hand and says, you know what, I want to go to school so that I can help people, you know, in their personal and also in their professional lives and the intersection of the two. How did you really find out this was going to be your area of focus? Um, mostly through like just the work that I was doing and then diving into the research and. At the end of the day, as humans, we are hardwired for connection. We're tribal mm. by nature. We need each other in this very real way. And we're living in the most disconnected time of our lives. So we can look at it in different domains, like what people are feeling um, in terms of their personal lives with like loneliness. We know the health impact of that. Vivek Murthy, who's a, our Surgeon General, this is his big push, right? There's health impact around isolation and disconnection. 
We also see this in the workplace. So things like great resignation, disengagement, quiet quitting, all of these things, they're really symptoms of disconnection from each other, right? We don't leave really great teams and strong working relationships and it doesn't feel good. And we're not as productive when we don't have great relationships at work. So um, I spent a lot of my career helping people individually with this, but then I saw a much bigger opportunity to help companies and help more people at scale by actually targeting organizations. So that's what we built and that's what we're doing and connecting really clinicians uh, to teams. We call them group guides. We teach core content, but it's really getting people to talk about what's working on the team, what's not working and what you want from each other, just like you would in other relationships and other parts of your life. What I think I find most interesting about this work is that you are not setting this unrealistic expectation that many, you know, organizational leaders have where you feel as if people are going to kind of, you know, go in through the office doors and they're going to shelve, you know, all of their personal problems, right? Or all the personal issues they're experiencing. Then you got the societal issues, you know, and all of that, you know, that encompasses who I am and, and my experience as a, you know, insert identifiers. I bring my whole self to work every day. And it seems like your work is fine tuning how all of these different whole selves can be able to work, um, you know, in some sort of a collaborative manner such that we're actually helpful to one another. How can, you know, organizations, particularly, you know, with the assistance of, you know, professional like you, because I do think we're going to take this probably in two segments and talk about, you know, kind of like the professional piece and then into the personal, but in the workplace, how is it that you can bring together all of these different people with all of their different stuff and still be able to focus on the well-being of individual employees and, and of the teams? Yeah. Yeah. So I think right now what's out there or, you know, I get hired to kind of work often just with like executives or to come mm -hmm. give a talk or something. But the way you really build strong relationships is by just having open conversations around what's working and what's not working. It doesn't mean I need to be best friends with the people in, in my office. It doesn't mean, you know, you need to uh, like have this one communication style. And if you do this, you're going to be the most profitable, most successful, happiest. It's really like just picture other parts of your life with with your partners or your kids or your, you know, family, it's like, what do I need here to really feel good, to feel most productive? And, and it's not just right or wrong. It's how does this support the shared goal of the group or the team? So it's like, what we first do is just really articulate what brings us here? What's our goal of the team? Are we all in agreement around at least this very specific goal? And then also what's a cultural goal? Like, what do we want this to feel like to be, to be part of this team? And then all group behaviors filters from that point. So it strips of the right or wrong, or even like the general who, you know, like this comes up with in generational kind of bias, basically. In oh, I can imagine. <laughs> And it's like, you know, there's not right or wrong. These are just variables and these are values sitting on the table. Is this like getting us to our shared goal or is it not? Because we've agreed to this social contract. So like, let's get our behaviors in alignment with it. So when you can do that, like it increases things like safety and belonging and trust because you're working towards a shared goal and you've sort of started to speak openly about these dimensions and dynamics that are sitting in the room, whether we're talking about it or not. And most leaders who rise to leadership have individual success, but sometimes don't know how to lead the people or hold these kind of complicated 
interpersonal human factors that make, you know, teams messy. And we kind of provide a space <laughs> that's still professional, but allows some noticing and naming of these dynamics um, to like really in, in the name of like getting us closer to accomplishing our shared goal. Well, and therein lies the eye of DNI. I mean, you know, now we're really creating this more inclusive, you know, work environment. But to your point, you know, we are expecting our people leaders to be able to foster this more inclusive work environment. But within the organization, oftentimes we don't provide any level of training, any level of ongoing education about how do you actually do that? And not only how do you do that, but you got to remember that you're bringing in people again with all of these other things that they're experiencing, you know, in the other hours of the day when they're not all together. And we got to still make this work and make this an environment where everyone feels as if they could share and that they're, that they're valued uh, and, and that you can really be able to have, again, this shared goal that we can all accomplish together, even though we have different views. So I'm going to make sure that we create a, a, a solve to this problem. So people may not get training on it in their workplace, but you've got to give us at least our organizational leaders. What are some of the um, actionable steps that, you know, organizations or the leaders themselves need to take to really create these positive and inclusive work environments? Yeah. I mean, that's a gigantic question. <laughs> and, and like that, I think the take home is a lot of organizations, there's this idea of inviting people to the dance, but not actually inviting anyone to dance. That's what DEI sort of has become in a lot of ways. I'm going to check the box and offering this like thing, this training and great, you can learn what implicit bias is, but if you're not going to actually do the work of talking about it, noticing the impact and, and naming it more directly, it's not really going to move the needle. The problem is like, this is not, this is highly sensitive, deeply relational, very raw work that, that needs to happen over time in the context of uh, safety, right? And so how are organizations thinking about actually creating spaces for people to just talk about the dynamics, it doesn't just have to be issues of diversity. It should be like, how are we working best together? When do I feel most like myself here? And just kind of giving space for people to talk about it. This is like, this is just what I really firm, firmly believe in. Um, Cause it's not gonna change otherwise, you know? Uh, but in terms of something simple to try in a first step, I think is in organizations, especially in the hybrid Zoom world, people log on, they're like, let's just dive into business. And it just oh boy. strips away all the relational aspects of teams. So people yeah. like, like I this doesn't feel good. This isn't fun. Like, am I just sort of a workhorse here? So like focusing very intentionally on creating space for the relational aspects of the team. One very simple way to do that and I do this with my kids at the dinner table. Many of our partners within organizations have integrated this into their teams. It's highlight of the week, low light of the week, feeling you feel now. You can pick one of them. You can do all of them. Take 30 seconds and just share because now I'm seeing you more as a whole person. Yeah. I'm starting to build empathy when you share something that I'm like, God, I didn't know like Lloyd had that thing going on in his family and and he just dealt with that all weekend. Now, not only am I understanding your behaviors that might be, you know, like say you're grumpy or something. Now I understand why, you know, and then it allows me to actually move towards you as a person rather than just looking at your behaviors and making judgments, which is ultimately creating disconnection on the team. So it sounds really simple and maybe trite or something, but it's actually super effective. 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds very simple, but people don't do it. Uh, and so, you know, it's 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 one of those things where people would be surprised how, you know, of course, the company actually, or the organization, I mean, not assume everyone's in, in corporate America, but the organization will absolutely benefit because, I mean, it's often been stated around this quote, business case for diversity. I think you can sub in inclusion for diversity. I mean, like now you are actually going to get this team to perform at a much higher level, right? Because now I understand Bobby as an individual and now I can give and extend, you know, some grace because, you know, Bobby has mentioned that, you know, this is a, this is a really bad week. You know, there's something else that's going on, you know, in my, in my personal life, you know, that I'm dealing with. And now we're going to be able to, of course, drive profits for the organization. You know, all of those things will come, but you've got to build that culture. And that starts with the relationships among the people. So, you identified this problem. You started talking with some folks about it and you said, you know what, I need to start a business. Uh, so tell me about groups and what does groups do? Yeah. So we, we're bringing that Wendy Rhodes type character to the office mm -hmm. uh, on subscription on an ongoing affordable basis. So part of this is that like companies want culture because it's a differentiator. It makes people feel good. It's it's like it, it their business is dependent on it. But they're the people who are really getting like the attention generally are the executives, right? They might the, you know, I might get hired to only work with executives for a time limited period. But the way you really create strong culture and culture is really strong working relationships between people across the organization is, is if people across the organization have access to these types of services and companies historically don't invest in it because it's too expensive. How many Who's going to get a Wendy Rhodes for every team across the entire organization? <laughs> so it's not, so we're like, okay, you can't do that if you're hiring consultants. You can do that if you're hiring clinicians. So that's what we've done. We've brought really experienced um, experts in group and organizational psychology together. Um, we, you know, they teach core content and high cohesion, high performing teams. And then they're just really with teams across the year and ongoing to have these very intentional spaces to talk about what's working on the team and, and what's not. Um, but one thing you said before that I want to highlight is mm -hmm. Like diverse teams are actually more creative and more innovative. So people would maybe make the assumption that more diversity on the team, people aren't going to be rowing in the same direction, or it's going to be hard to get people. But but the problem is like, or the, the when you have more diverse teams, there's different ways of thinking that are correlated with more creativity, more innovation. And when you couple that with high levels of safety and trust and belonging, people then are free to put those like big kind of wild ideas out on the table without fear or judgment. And that's where like, you know, the Ubers of the world come or the, you know, the, mm -hmm. the big ideas, because you're not, you're free to take risk, to put big ideas out. That's not going to happen in teams that are A, super homogeneous and B, don't have a fundamental safety and trust and belonging. You're just- and putting yourself at risk, right? Like, I agree. And even when you just bring up safety, I don't even know that all of our listeners, I mean, I assume that you are actually referencing psychological safety, yeah. you know, in the workplace. And again, another topic that we don't really explore enough, you know, in the workplace to make sure that, you know, just outside of us being like an inviting environment is just one where people feel safe to even be able to share. You can invite me to come and talk about it, but if I don't feel as if it is a safe space for me to be able to do so, because, you know, you have not really uh, given me the green light or or shown me through your behavior that, you know, you're going to 
really make sure that me taking the risk, you know, me sharing, me uh, disagreeing with you, uh, me being able to actually bring my whole self into the conversation and that it will not be, you know, uh, detrimental to my ultimate, you know, success in the workplace. We have to pivot uh, because I want to make sure that we really get into then the personal piece, right? Uh, it has to be acknowledged that the month of November is National Family Caregivers Month. And so as if you did not wear enough hats, uh, you also specialize in parental psychology. Uh, and I know that you often do uh, a bunch of lectures, talks, et cetera, about raising emotionally durable, empathetic, and strong children. I got to tell you, America needs you for that. Uh, but I know you also wrote a book on the topic that you mentioned earlier, Raising Feminist Boys. Give our listeners an overview of the book and tell us about your inspiration behind it. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, it's like from a outside, I seem very hybrid, like all these different things. What I'm really focused on is helping people build the strongest relationships they can. And so whether it's at work or whether it's, you know, kind of with your children or children with other children, it's just, we need strong relationships and we have to have deeper understanding of each other. That's just fundamental to good, healthy functioning. And there's these skills that generalize to all these different parts of our life because we're hardwired for connection and, um, and need safety and belonging to function. I decided to write a book. I gave a couple of TEDx talks on this, really kind of raising consciousness around uh, parenting and, and, and uh, with our kids, and then kind of put it in a developmental framework to give uh, parents the tools to talk about this in a direct way, because most parents just have no idea where to start or like what's appropriate on a cognitive level. Um, and so I just try to build a framework to make this less scary. You know, it's not perfect. I'm trying to figure out how to do this myself, but I've just trying to like learn alongside everybody and do the best we can to, to raise good kids. Well, let me just say this, uh, and, I, and I hope our listeners are, are able to deduce this as well about what it is that you're really doing, because I get what you just said, but what it is that you're also really doing is that you're debunking, you know, this myth that, you know, some of these topics, you know, like it's too early to, you know, introduce this particular topic or for us to disabuse, you know, certain beliefs that the children are creating, uh, because what happens is that they go, uh, you know, unchecked until this individual then goes off into, you know, high school and into college. And now they're on their own. Now they're able to, you know, have all these messages coming to them, not just in that little bit of free time that mom is giving them in all of their time. And now a, a, a human being that, you know, you, you raised has totally different values, you know, than what it is that you believe that you raised them to be. So all of that going unchecked, then it comes into the workplace. Uh, and now you have a DNI officer who's wondering, okay, Exactly. It all fits together. <laughs> how, how can I now undo all of these many decades worth, you know, of, of bad things that you've been exposed to as opposed to, you know, mom or, or dad or, or the parents just sitting down with you and creating for you what is a, a foundation that is really, you know, egalitarian and, and really talks to them about, you know, right and wrong and really does raise conscious children. So hats off to you for, for that work. Um, I know that you mentioned that you did some of those uh, TEDx talks, and I know you have one about raising conscious boys in an unconscious world. Uh, and there you talk about uh, different gender biases that kids face. Um, what are some of the steps that parents can take uh, to challenge and counteract some of those gender biases that children may encounter? Yeah. 
So the first is just noticing in ourselves. So we're also assuming that parents have this self-awareness to even notice this <laughs> themselves to then teach their kids. They all work with me, Bobby. So of course <laughs> they have all of that because I've given them. Okay. All right. All right. Maybe they don't. <laughs> Hopefully everyone's listening to your podcast because we can like change the course of the world if they just got there's that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, the first step is just getting curious. So like noticing and naming, we do this with the organizations, we do this with kids. So it's just like, huh, like think about birthday parties, for example. Hey, I'm going mm -hmm. to Ellie's birthday party. Okay, sir, let's get let's get her like a purse or a dollar, whatever it is. And so you don't have to be like, that's wrong. You're a bad guy for even assuming that. It's like, oh, huh, I wonder why. Why do you think she'd rather have a purse than a ball? What do we know about LA? That's funny. All of a sudden, we're just kind of assuming she wants this. Do we even know she wants this? So it's just giving a little bit of pause. And so uh, the background of this, to put it in more of a, like a neuropsych perspective, is like we get very uncomfortable talking about bias just across the globe because oh, yeah. nobody wants to be the bad guy. But the reality is, if we understand the the neuropsychology of it a little bit, it frees us up to talk about it. We are all biased. There's no right. way to get around this. This is how our brains are wired because brains are wired for efficiency. So we're trying to like operate as humans as fast and efficient as we can. The way we do that is by internalizing messaging we've gotten from parts of our life or past experiences or things we've learned on TV that may or may not be right. And we're sorting that information and we're bucketing people. Mm -hmm. These are called cognitive schemas or heuristics. It's, it's a cognitive psychology thing. We all do it. We all make assumptions about people based on prior information that we're leaning to, pulling forward and judging without consciousness in the moment. So if we can just assume we all do this because this is how safety is really... Uh, protected because if we didn't make if we didn't have a way, way to decipher or make sense of people in front of us we would um you could put yourself at risk or just be very inefficient to be like asking people really tons of information at every engagement are you safe what's your history like so we're just bucket people is the short answer if we assume we do this then you just want to start to notice how you're doing this why you do this when you do this and then give yourself a little bit of cognitive space to then ask what evidence do I have that this is true? So is this like my own thing I'm pulling forward or is this actually representative of the person sitting in front of me? So I, I phrase it all the time, you know, just like that. And I just tell people press the pause button because yeah. you're moving so fast because you're trying to get from, all right, I got to solve this problem. I got to bring this birthday gift to, okay, I know that Bobby wants, you know, something pink because Bobby is a girl and pink goes with girls as opposed to like pressing the pause button, thinking about Bobby, thinking about the uniqueness of Bobby, thinking about what we've learned about Bobby and then challenging also, well, why is it that I automatically assume that Bobby must you know, want this particular gift and, and must want it to be pink. Uh, and then that way in the future, that will inform, you know, how it is that you that you act uh, in that given environment or, or, or scenario in the future. But yeah, it just slowing down. So it's like not and, and having uh, giving yourself a little permission that we're all in different stages of this. We all do this. And so the way we can solve for this, if we actually talk about it, you know, and notice it in ourselves and do the work of noticing our own biases. And then it's cognitive restructuring. It's changing the, the automatic thought you have. And then, and then just giving, looking, uh, 
to the person in front of you, taking in that information and then kind of encoding it in a more accurate way. You're right. It is work because it's it's kind of nonstop, right? Because you've got so many different uh, environments that you operate in. And so it's your friend circle and it's your, you know, your work family uh, and it's the clients that you are serving and it's your internet presence. And, you know, it's all of these things. And we, again, we may remember to press the pause button in the workplace because we just had, you know, Dr. Wegner come in and give us a, a, a talk on it, or we may remember it because, you know, we had this particular training, but you don't remember it when it comes to, you know, the way in which you talk to people, you know, on social media or the things that you post or things like that. And so it, it it's work, it's a lot. And it's even, uh, you know, harder work when you're doing that, not only for yourself, but again, as you are raising the next generation of people who are going to be not only in the workplace, but as you articulated, hopefully leaders in the workplace. And so how can I make sure that the leaders that I am responsible for from the beginning that, you know, they're coming in here uh, and, and they are able to at least issue spot this and they're able to do the work themselves. With all of this work that you're giving us to do, Bobby, <laughs> we have to remember to practice some level of self-care. Uh, and so for the the working parents, you know, who are trying to make it all happen, uh, you know, or trying to do the work or trying to please the clients or also trying to, you know, make sure that the kids are all taken care of. What's one piece of advice that you can leave folks with before we wrap up um, uh, to help them to practice self-care when they are often prioritizing the needs of the kids and their direct reports and all the people who need you? Yeah. I think this is like, it's super cliche to be like, put the, your own oxygen mask on first, or like, do you go for a walk or do meditation? All those things are great. And I, I believe in all those things, but the thing that gets me personally, cause I'm like, well, I have a high pain tolerance. I can do it. I, <laughs> that. you know, like I kind of, and I know we all do that. If I'm doing it, everybody's doing it. The thing that gets me to change my behavior for myself is like, I want my kids to have a full life with good relationships and, and, and a happy life where they are doing things that bring them joy, where they have a little downtime, where they have some work time. And there's no way they're going to just like find this themselves unless I model for them mm -hmm. what a, a good life for myself looks like. So getting very clear about how do I want to live my life? For me, it's it's parenting, but it's also parenting just one part of who I am. I love my work. I love lecturing. I like traveling. I like having relationships outside of my family. It's not just all mom all the time. And so I model that I'm explicit. I'm very clear about how much I love my kids, but also what I need to feel like a whole person. And so, and then doing it, because if I don't do it, then they're not going to do it when they're adults or when they're kids. They definitely aren't. I can tell you that firsthand experience uh, with, with my two. Uh, I can tell you, Bobby, that you have given us a lot of work, but this is good work. Uh, this is the work that we all need to commit to doing, uh, again, if we want to be able to create uh, futures for our young people uh, that we know are going to create you know, a better future for all of us. Dr. Wegner, tell us all of our listeners how they can find out more about you, more about groups uh, in case they want to bring you know, this kind of learning to their workplace. Great. Thanks so much. So the easiest way, and I'm on this email all the time, it's the website is joingroups with two O's.com. My email and feel free to connect is bobby.w at joingroups.com. And I'm on LinkedIn too. So I'm always open to connecting, always meeting people and seeing if there's any way I can help and support. But I just appreciate you having me Lloyd and we could have kept chatting and I just uh, love the work you're doing too. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you.
Dimensions of Diversity is brought to you by Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney. Please rate and review our podcast. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to subscribe to hear all of our new content as we continue to explore ways in which we can all advance diversity and inclusion. I'm your host, Lloyd Freeman, and thank you for listening.